It's amazing how, uh, how little it takes to be a hero in someone else's eyes, isn't it? It's amazing that there are heroes uh, that go unnoticed each and every day. And that's why this, just writing on this little piece of paper, we're not gonna read them out loud from the front, the people who you think are heroes in the, of the faith in your, in your life, but they're just gonna be put on the board outside some of them. They're just a one or two sentences explaining how someone made an impact. And I do believe that each and every one of us can make an impact and we can let our light shine. This series, we're starting with a new theme verse. And so it comes from Matthew chapter five, and I'm gonna start reading at verse 14, and then verse 16 is gonna be on the screen here, and you're gonna read verse 16 with me. Are you ready? So let me start out with 14 to give you a little bit of context. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Over the next several weeks, myself and various staff will be sharing true stories from the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, of ordinary people who were heroes of the faith. Now we all have people in our lives who've made an impact on our journey, but what I've come to realize and recognize about heroes, whether from scripture or our present day, is that heroes are ordinary people who make a difference because they say yes to the right thing. They say yes to the right thing. In June of 2019, there were four teenage boys, aged 14 to 17. If you're looking for an example, 14 to 17, just look over this way. There's a whole lot of students over there. Uh, four teenage boys in Oklahoma rushed into a 90-year-old woman's home as it was burning and got her out unharmed. The woman, Catherine Ritchie, was getting ready for bed when she turned around and saw, I have no idea why, her bed was completely engulfed in flames. And so she started to try to extinguish the flames by throwing blankets and pillows on the fire. And the billowing smoke overwhelmed her and Richie, again, 90 years old, quickly got disoriented. She tried to go to her closet, which she thought was the door out, getting out of her house. And so as the fire raged inside of her house across the street, there were four teenage boys who had just walked outside and they said, do you, do you smell smoke or something? And the boys did not hesitate. One started breaking the glass, the article says. The glass on the front door, one called 911. One went to the back door, began kicking it in. One went to the neighbors for an ax to get some help. And the daughter of this woman, she explained that the 14-year-old Nick, he was the first to break into the house. He found Richie in the hallway and he just scooped her right up. They all escaped unharmed, and Richie's daughter professed her gratefulness to the young men by writing this in her blog. She said, thank you for your selfless, selfless acts of heroism and courage. Thank you for not allowing this to be the tragic end to our mother's amazing life. Thank you for staying with her, hugging her, and helping her feel less alone until we could get to her. Ordinary people. 
It always begins with the ordinary. An ordinary person becomes extraordinary examples of bravery because of their willingness to say yes to doing the right thing. And there are countless examples of ordinary people throughout scriptures who said yes to doing the right thing. So the question is, where do we start in a series like this? How do we get through a list of people who are so long in scriptures who said yes to God so many different ways? Is it David who said yes to fighting Goliath? Is it Esther who said yes to risking her life to petition the king to save her people? Is it Daniel who refused to deny his faith and said yes instead to a lion's den? Is it Rahab who hid the spies and turned Joshua's and hid and in turn saved Joshua's men from and her whole entire household from death? And for all the people I could start with, I, I was considering doing Rahab today because this statement kept coming to mind, and it was a statement that God is no respecter of persons. God does not favor one person over the other, and, and I was wondering how to pull this through, and so I thought of the story of Rahab because if you look it up, uh, it's, it's talking about the fact that, that she was not an Israelite. She was not a, a, a Jew. She instead was one who heard of what Israel was doing and heard of the conquest and knew as a Canaanite that her life would be better if she followed the God of Israel. And so I was going to go down that route, but then I felt the Lord just take a little turn. And it brought me to the New Testament because sometimes when we're just, we hang in the Old Testament, we're like, ah, that's the Old Testament, but let's, let's run to the New Testament today. Let's pick an unlikely hero who I don't think has ever been called a hero in, in my experience. But it might be a little bit easier to, to grapple with in light of our own feelings of being far from heroes of the faith. And it's the story of Cornelius. Follow me if you would in Acts chapter 10. Turn in your Bibles if you have it with you. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 8. We're going to read it on the screen. I'll read it for you. But we're going to uh, hear what God has to say in regards to this gentleman and his faith journey. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 3, it says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctively saw, uh, distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. The next slide. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is that? What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send me men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And the next verse says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. What a, the thing that stands out to me first in this passage about this man, Cornelius, uh, is one, he, he's not a Jew. The story is about 
We're talking about Peter, and we're talking about the, the uh, Saul's conversion, and we're talking about all that's happening at the early stages of the church. And we see that we're drawn attention to this man named Cornelius, and I'm struck by the fact that God sees the good in Cornelius. So much so that he actually sends an angel to speak to Cornelius and tell them that God notices. Do you know that God notices when people do good things? Whether they've chosen to serve him or not? Have you thought of that? That God notices, he sees There's no reason to believe that Cornelius has any knowledge that the way to salvation is through the crucified and resurrected Christ. Remember, news is still spreading. But like many that you may know and I know, he did have a belief in God, the scripture explains. Since all the Jews living in that city respected Cornelius and they considered him to be God-fearing. It would be fair to say, although he was not born a Jew, that he had come to some way to believe that the God of Israel was a God worth noting, a God worth respecting, a God who in some ways he was serving through his gifts of kindness, his generosity. He had come to believe in the same living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which the Jews believed in. And and guess what? We believe in the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we believe that he sent through that lineage the Son of God, Jesus, who we believe to be the Messiah. But the scripture is really adamant as well to say that and remind us that good deeds of this ordinary man were recognized and acknowledged by the Lord despite him not having fully converted to a religion and not fully understanding who Jesus is. Does that sound like anyone that you may have come in contact with at work or school? People who kind of have an idea of God but and they kind of respect God. If they're in a tight situation, they might pray to God. They might give generously because they just have this gift of, of being charitable to others. They volunteer in organizations that you never thought to volunteer in. They give freely when people are asking for in, and are in need. I really believe that there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus. But God wants you to know that he sees your kindness. He sees your generosity. And he has more for you. So much so that he brought you here today. He maybe didn't send you an angel, although you might met a few on the way in the door. But he brought you here because he has more for you. He sees you. And here's a note to the rest of us. When we look for the good in others, no matter their faith background, when we look for the good in others, we reflect the heart of God. Do you believe that? Amen? Ooh, it was a little... Uh. When we look for the good in others, we reflect the heart of God. I believe that's needed more today than ever, to look for the good in others. Why? Because God sees the good. 
We are always looking for differences in a world that's very polarized. But when we try to find common ground, it makes room for us to be able to share a deeper understanding of our faith in Jesus. So the next part of the story is the vision. So Cornelius, he has this encounter with an angelic being, and and then Peter, he has a vision. The Bible says that he actually... He came back from from being out and he he goes up onto the rooftop and he's waiting for a meal to be prepared and he goes into a trance. That's got to be some hungry, right? Like he's just, he's so hungry. Maybe he should have seen a doctor. Like that's probably the possibility. Like maybe your blood sugar is a little too low. Uh, But no, it goes into this, this moment, this trance that is actually a supernatural moment that God is using his hunger even in that moment. And he has this vision, this out-of-body experience, and he sees this large sheet let down by four corners. And it contains all these four-legged, four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds of the air, not just any animals that are being shown in this vision coming down on a big blanket. Instead, they are animals that are exactly the opposite kind of animals that Peter, with his Judaic background, his Jewish upbringing, he's unable to eat those. Very funny, right? You're hungry and someone gives you, you, you exactly what you're either allergic to or sensitive to and they give, here, have this. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm really hungry and I can't have that. And a voice shows up and it says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything that's impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happens three times, and then it just ends. If I was Peter, I'd be like, what in the world? Somebody get me a sandwich or something. (laughs) Then suddenly, it's like this divinely scripted moment that the men sent by Cornelius, who we just read about, they arrive at his house, and the Holy Spirit says to Peter, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter says yes to the guests, and then yes to going with them. In many ways, Peter's kind of shaping up to be the hero in this story for his yes to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, I think almost all the times, the very first start to being a hero of faith is literally saying yes to Holy Spirit's promptings. Just the little ones. And the more you say yes to the little ones, the easier it is to say yes to the bigger ones. And God will entrust you the more that you respond to him in those moments when his Holy Spirit is saying to do something, something that seems out of ordinary but yet is still in mind with God's kindness and loving kindness and plans. And in many ways, Peter in this moment says yes to the Holy Spirit and God is able to use that. Why? Because God has a plan for Cornelius. So Peter and some of the other believers, they, they head out to Caesarea to go to Cornelius' house. And here's the cool part. Cornelius knows they are coming. So he calls together all of his relatives, all of his friends, and they're all in the house waiting for him to come. Like, that's faith right there. Cornelius is saying, I, I sent the guys, the men. Of course, he's a, he is uh, a centurion. So he is a soldier, one who oversees other soldiers. So he assumes that those he put marching orders to would come back with what he had asked them to do, which was to reach out to Peter. 
but he brings in a whole group of people around him and he puts himself into a posture to receive whatever good news God has for him. He doesn't want to keep it all for himself, so he invites people to join him in this moment, people he cares about. And verse 27 says this, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. This is Peter arriving at their house. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Breaking down social barriers right here. He says, but God has shown me through this vision that I shall not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent me? So Cornelius, he goes through the whole story again, tells him what happens. And after he explains to him the encounter that Cornelius had, and he remembers his own vision and how God's been already speaking to his heart, the Bible says in 34, then Peter began to speak and he says these beautiful words. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. Turn to someone and say every nation. My spirit just causes me to smile. God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And Peter goes on to share the gospel message. And if, if you're looking for a clear understanding of the gospel message, just look right here, verse 36. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went through uh, around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God, amen, raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. I think he was getting excited, so I'm getting excited. Uh, he raised him up from the dead. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom, the, whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Man, Peter's saying yes right in that moment. Yes to explaining what he already knows to be true. God's plan isn't just for Cornelius. It's like coming in a full picture to Peter in this moment. God's plan isn't just for Cornelius. It's for the nations. God's plan is for all humanity. There's this beautiful scripture, Isaiah 56 and verse 7. It says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? For all nations. Beautiful. 
There's one of the few times in scripture when we see Jesus visibly angry and he quotes this scripture from Isaiah. For my house shall be called a house of prayer. And remember, he like turns over the tables. We don't see Jesus in angry mode very often, but this is a righteous anger. This is a moment when he's in the outer courts and this is called the Gentiles temple. Like this is the outer courts and this is where the people of the nations can come and make sacrifices. And they are taking advantage of those who are from other nations. They are charging too much for the sacrifices needed to make atonement for sin. They are money changers and they've changed this place to become a market rather than a place where people can come and find forgiveness and Jesus gets upset. Why? Because his house was be a house of prayer. For who? For all the nations. If you don't believe that Jesus came for the whole of all nations, then you are mistaken regarding the scripture. He loves the nations. I have a nephew who is seven or eight, turning eight. He's very smart. Very, he's very competitive and he's great at like literally every sport since he was two, it's ridiculous. He was playing golf like in the front. It, when we were playing mini putt with him, he's like getting holes in one and, and he can hit the ball with a bat from the time he's three and we're like, what is this kid? He's just, he's just really athletic and he is competitive. And what he does not do well with are board games. <laughs> he doesn't do well with board games. Why? Because, well, it's all, it, it, there's kind of a leveling playing field on board games where it doesn't matter how great you are athletically, if you are on, uh, playing a board game, depending what it is, it could be about strategy, it could be about uh, logic, it could be all these different pieces, but sometimes it's just chance and you might win and other times you, you might not. And, and, uh, and so when he, by chance, doesn't win, ooh, talk about flipping tables, <laughs> flipping boards, I'm done. This isn't the same with Jesus in this moment. He's not upset about himself or his reputation. He's not concerned about his own being. No, he's upset because he's not willing that anyone would be left out. And it's why he continually holds off for his return. We can say, come Lord Jesus, and with so much going on in the world, we know he's coming soon, but guess what? So did the disciples say he was coming soon because we're supposed to have this posture of heart that he is indeed the soon and coming king, but when he comes is up to him. And the reason he delays, the scripture says, is for one reason, because he's not willing that anyone should suffer. He's not willing that anyone be left out. It's why his Holy Spirit has come so that we would not be alone alone during this waiting, but also so that we would be uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. Why? Because God is not willing that anyone should perish. No, he, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. If he waits just a little longer, maybe some more people would come to know Jesus. If he waits just a little longer, maybe the saints, those who, who follow him, would tell a few more people of the good news and the transformation work of Jesus. And we grieve the heart of God 
We grieve the heart of God when we neglect the fact that his heart is to save. We grieve the heart of God when we forget his heart is to save. I'm not saying that we necessarily do. It's kind of like with a family and after a while, like you're just, you're hanging out together, you're with each other, having dinner, you forget that the heart of family is to love one another. You're like, no, we're just being together. (laughs) The heart of God is at the center of all we do and we grieve the heart of God when we're too interested in our political views than in the heart of Jesus to save, when we're too interested in drawing lines in the sand when Jesus is looking to show mercy and grace through his people. No act of kindness, no good deed, no debt paid, nothing will ever atone for what, that which separates us from God. And this is why God has to reach down to Cornelius because Cornelius is doing good things. He has an understanding of who God is, but he hasn't encountered Jesus. And I want to remind you today that our good deeds and, and being heroes in, in our community, in our workplaces, and in the lives of those we are in contact with, it's so important. But without Jesus, we miss the mark. You didn't earn salvation. You can't buy grace. Mercy was extended. And just like the people of Israel who made mistakes, who went outside of God's plans, who hurt others, he extended his grace to us. He extends his grace to us. He extends his mercy to us over and over again. It's not because we deserved it. It's because of his loving kindness. And did you know that the word mercy, it's derived from the description of God's loving kindness, this withholding of punishment even when it's deserved. God's mercy, and I quote, was a driving force in leading him to create a relationship with Israel. It was out of mercy, not merit get it. Mercy. And it's the same mercy he extends to us over and over again. Mercy. And it's what draws us down to our knees and say, God, we are just sinners in need of grace and you've extended grace to us. And so we walk not in pride and arrogance of having it all figured out, but in the humble realization that he's commissioned us because we have been compelled by the Holy Spirit, compelled by the love of God to share that grace and mercy to those we come in contact with, which leads us to the rebirth. Verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, someone say Holy Spirit, fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because get this, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. They didn't even have time for a baptismal service. They just received the word of God and it messes with our plan and our organization charts. But they received the word of God and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit right then. 
And then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And they filled the tank. No. (laughs) They went and found water and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then they asked him to stay for a few more days. You see, God's spirit, it brings change. It brings change to hearts. It brings change to humanity. This is what our hope is in. And what would have happened? What would have happened if Cornelius didn't say yes to the vision and to send people to get Peter? What if Peter refused to heed the vision or step inside the home of a person of another, another culture, another upbringing? What if Peter didn't begin to share the gospel and the Holy Spirit never fell on Cornelius' entire household? You see, the Holy Spirit brings change and the Holy Spirit is still ready to fall on anyone who hears the words of truth from Jesus and about Jesus. Yeah, it's good. Holy Spirit is still ready to fall on anyone who hears the word. We have this... uh, I've talked about our house a few different times. Some of you are very kind, keep asking if we're settled. Yes and no, yes. Yes, we're settled, sure. And so there's a fridge in our house that's new to us, and it's so funny because we were, you know how those little things you want, and this is definitely um, first world problems, but we were wanting to have water on the outside of our fridge because we had our old house where the kids could go up and get a drink of water. It stops the drinking of pop and everything else. You just get a glass of water, it's instant. But this fridge didn't have that, but they had something different, which I've learned to love more. So you can open the fridge door, there's a pitcher inside the fridge, and it fills up automatically with water every time you shut the door. Come on! So not only do you have a pitcher of water, you have a constantly cold pitcher of water in your fridge with a filter through it. So you just open up, it's like a a water pitcher on the door, You you pull it out, you pour your glass, You put it back in, you shut the door, and you hear it fill right back up. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's the same with the Holy Spirit's anointing. I mean, we think, oh, you know, we have our experience of Holy Spirit anointing at a camp or at a a youth rally or something, and God just pours that spirit like, ah, it's going to be a while before that happens again. It's not the case. Holy Spirit will just... Fill up again, pour out again. Fill up again, pour out again. He's always, always ready. And I think Paul said it best to the church when we respond to our, in response to our readiness. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 19. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, turn to someone and say, so. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, what? The message of reconciliation. May I remind you this morning, just as the worship team comes up, that we are still vessels of the message of reconciliation. Amen? Just a side note, did you know that Cornelius was one of the first non-Jews to come to faith in Christ after the resurrection of Christ? Cornelius became known as St. Cornelius in some liturgical uh, faith expressions. Why? Well, it's because he, used, he was used by God to tell many. Not only did he start off on a good foot where he had everyone else around him while he was receiving the message, he continually spread, spread the message of salvation to those who were from the non-Jewish community about the message about Jesus and his salvation. We can't all be saints, people. But there's a hero of faith in each and every one of us. In each and every one of you. If we would just choose to say yes to the right things. Choose to say yes. You may never run into a burning, burning building to save someone. Or maybe you will. But every moment you cross paths with someone who doesn't know Jesus, you have an opportunity to let your light shine. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. He is the light, but he said, you are the light of the world, so go into the world. Be heroes of faith to someone simply by being the godly example people are looking for. And I'm telling you, those good deeds, those gen that generosity, it should be above and beyond what anyone else can do so that they will know you by your good deeds. But also speak the message of reconciliation when invited by others to do so. You won't be disappointed you did because God is going ahead of you. He's making a path. He's speaking to people. He's giving visions. He's giving dreams. If he knows he can count on you when he speaks the word in your heart to go and speak to someone or to share or invite someone into your home, respond to that because he will use you to do great, incredible things. You won't be disappointed. Could I have everyone stand just as we... Go to a song that we're going to be closing with in just a moment. I don't know about you, but when I heard this message of, from the scriptures of Cornelius' story, of Peter's story, I think about how Peter must have had a moment where he had to say, I'm sorry, God. I didn't listen the first or second time when you showed me the vision of your heart for reconciliation with all nations. I wonder if there's a moment right here where we can just quiet our hearts before Holy Spirit and say, God, we, are, we repent for the times when we limited salvation just to those we felt worthy of salvation. Would you bow your hearts with me even right now, your heads? just between you and God. Have him examine your heart even now. 
about your perception of the nations and the need to be people of reconciliation who bring that message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world, to a world that has good people in it, to a world that has people who are just like you and me, but who need to understand who Jesus is and be able to receive the forgiveness, the freedom that comes from bowing a knee to Jesus. God, would you forgive us for the times when we forget what our mandate is? Forgive us for our own biases, for our own prejudice at times. And help us to love in a way that Jesus did. Jesus, we receive your forgiveness today. Let your love compel us, we pray. Remind us even right now of how great the Father's love is for us. That we should even be called children of God. You lavish your love on us, God. Remind us of that right now. And Jesus, we ask in this moment, that you would commission us once again as people who were called to share the gospel message with those who we come in contact with, not for the sole purpose of converting somebody, but for the sole purpose that we care about them and we want to share the love of Jesus with them and that the Holy Spirit we trust is already at work in their life. And so God, help us to say yes to doing the right things. Help us to say yes to Holy Spirit's prompting. Give us dreams, give us vision, Lord, if we can't see it clearly. Make it in a way that we can understand your heart for the nations. And God, we pray that even as a church family, that we will welcome the nations into this building, into this, uh, this congregation, God, that the nations would continue to come because it's an example of what heaven's gonna look like. And help us to rejoice in that, God. Help us to pray for it. Help us to believe in it, God. Help us to be obedient, Lord, and finding ways to connect with others who are on their own faith journey, God. Holy Spirit, would you help them to come to a full realization of who you are? And just before we close today, God, we take a moment as we've spoke so freely about the people of Israel, of those of the Jewish faith, God, we pray for Israel, as the scripture says. We pray for the people who have lost loved ones. We pray for those who are fearful. We pray for their country. And we also pray for the Palestinians, God. We pray for those who have lost. We pray for those who need Jesus. We pray that your grace and your mercy would flow in a way that would bring peace and reconciliation, that would somehow point us to the cross and what Jesus had done. God, nothing's too difficult for you. Nothing's too difficult for you, God. 
But we thank you, Jesus, that you came to save. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring reconciliation of hearts to God the Father. And we thank you, God, that you love the nations. And so we love them too. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen, amen. We're gonna sing this song together and then have one scripture to close us off in. So let's sing a verse and a chorus.